The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. So we're about to do another exciting Meet the Mentor. This is my birthday week. You always know how special that is. In fact, I've got my uh, birthday balloons here and I'm going on a big birthday trip. I'm taking my daughter, their, my three daughters, their three boyfriends, and uh, approximately six 20-year-olds on a big trip to Turkey leaving Friday. We'll be gone for a week. So I'm super excited about that. And um, and I'm excited about LEAP 2023. Uh, we will be July 16th to the 22nd at UCLA again. Sweet 16. This will be our 16th year there. We hope to be full force barring any new variant of COVID, but it looks like we got that thing licked. So we're super excited about that. And we will, of course, have a great lineup of speakers. For those of you who aren't familiar with LEAP, in the past, we've had amazing speakers. And what we do at LEAP is we try to teach students the skills that they need to be successful in life. And we've had amazing speakers. This year, we got a special tutorial from Richard Branson. In the past, we've had Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Hopkins, Paula Abdul, Michael Strahan, Hannah Brown from The Bachelor, Kathy Bates, um, on and on and on and on and on. So please, 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 if you are a parent to a student 15 to 25, check out LEAP at www.leapfoundation.com and sign your kid up. I promise if you send me your kid, We'll send you back a better kid. Um, and now I'd like to introduce to you our mentor for today. This is Jessica Buchanan. She is a speaker author, and I'm going to just read her little bio. On October 25th, 2011, while on a routine mission in Somalia, Jessica was abducted at gunpoint and held for ransom by a group of Somali pirates for 93 days. She was forced to live outdoors in deplorable conditions, starved and terrorized by more than 2,000, sorry, two dozen gangsters. 2,000 would be really bad. Jessica's health steadily deteriorated until by order of President Obama, she was rescued by an elite SEAL team on January 25th, 2012. Jessica's ordeal is detailed in her New York Times bestselling book, Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dynamic Rescue by SEAL Team 6. Jessica has been named one of 150 women who will shake the world by Newsweek, and her story was the most highly viewed 60 Minutes episode to air to date. Jessica is a highly sought after inspirational speaker and her TEDx Pearl Street Talk, Change is Your Proof of Life, has been the foundation for which she travels the world and speaks. Jessica is host of a popular conversational podcast called We Should Talk About That, where she and her co-host attempt to un 
hack uncomfortable topics that nobody is currently talking about, but definitely should. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you started off um, as an English major and left that and never thought that that would be such an integral part of your life and your success. But then you've been able to take a really unfortunate and scary event and kind of help spread the word about that. How did, how did all of that transition? Well, I like to say I took the scenic route of, especially in terms of my professional life. Yeah, I started out as an English major and had many other majors after after that, and finally settled on getting a, um, a degree in education. I figured um, I'm from the Midwest originally, and you know, Midwesterners are very practical, and and it was you know, seemed like a good decision. I liked kids. I liked school. So it felt like a good marriage of the two. And um, so, but what ended up happening is I got a teaching position in, in Africa and that sent me off on a whole different trajectory. And I think the thing with me, maybe it's my personality. Um, and even though good Midwestern upbringing practicalities and whatnot, I've always been really open to new experiences and seeing what's out there in the world. It's just an incredible place. Um, and so, you know, uh, working for an NGO and all of that, the beautiful, cool things that I got to see and the people I got to experience um, was great until it wasn't. And the kidnapping certainly changed the trajectory in my life. And one of the one of the ramifications of that was the loss of my profession. You know, I couldn't go back to, to teach in Africa. I couldn't go back to doing that. And um, I ended up having to really rebuild and reinvent myself, especially on a professional level. And then how do you do that when you're like, you know, had your course set and you're in your mid thirties and, and you never considered doing anything else. Um, And I think trying to figure out how to, um, take my pain, um, and this really, this really difficult circumstance, even though I lived, um, I had to mourn the loss of my career and, and all of the dreams and the things that I was working toward and, and turn my pain into some sort of purpose in order to make it mean something. Let me um, ask you really- something, because I, I really want to learn a little bit about how, how that whole thing happened. So you were on a routine mission trip, right? Mm-hmm. With how many people were in your group? So I worked for an international non-governmental organization, a Danish uh, organization. And so there was just me and another colleague. Um, and then we were with our local um, colleagues, Somali. So uh, we were in Somalia. People, how many people were actually kidnapped? Two, me so, and my colleague, Paul. Mm-hmm. So it was you and your colleague and you were held by two dozen pirates? I mean, they call themselves pirates. This is at a time, 2011, when piracy was like a thing off the yeah, coast. Yeah. The, if you've seen the movie Captain Phillips. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was like that whole time. So he got taken a, like a year before me. And so that his particular. Wait, wait, wait. Incident, Captain Phillips got taken a year before you, not your partner. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, Captain Phillips. So, so I'm setting that up to like say that they like 
people would typically be taken when they were out at sea, like on ships or maybe tourists, like on their own yachts or whatever. Um, because of what happened with Captain Phillips and SEAL, the SEAL teams coming in and, and, and rescuing, the pirates started moving on to land um, and kidnapping people, which is why I got nabbed. Okay. And so just for a minute, can you just kind of explain like, I mean, what was that like? I mean, did were you sleeping in tents? Did you have sleeping bags? Or, or basically like you were just like on the ground outside? I was just on the ground. Yeah. I, I not- like to say nothing. It was the most extreme camping experience. And I'm, and I'm a like, campy kind of girl. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking like no toothbrush, no toothpaste, no, mm. no toilet paper, no bathrooms, no anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, eventually somebody brought me a toothbrush and some toothpaste and um, definitely no shelter, no tent, no tarp, no sleeping bag. I did get the same clothes for 93 days. They brought me a couple changes of clothes too, like loose Somali dresses and no underwear. Like somebody stole my underwear and didn't bring me any. I could not get it across to them that I needed underwear. They couldn't figure that out. And yeah, and I'm the only woman. So, I mean, we're talking and it it would like, they would exchange posts, um, but anywhere from like nine men to 30 men surrounded, heavily armed. AK-47s, machine guns, and chains they, of ammo. And they were demanding a lot of money. Like, well, I mean, what did, what was the end game for them? Mm, yeah. Money. All about money. It wasn't ideological. Uh, the demand started at $45 million, which is generally what you would demand for a ship. And they didn't seem to understand that we weren't cargo. We were just two people. Um, and so by the end of the 93 days, I, I word is the demand had gone down to 4 million. So, you know, there's a negotiation process and they started at 45 million and then my organization countered at 20,000. So it's going to take a really long time to meet somewhere in the middle. And then a Navy SEAL team just came in and rescued you guys. I mean, yep. In the middle of the night, had no idea who they were, had no idea that it was actually a rescue attempt, thought we were being re-kidnapped by another pirate group. I mean, I'm glad, I'm sure you were like really relieved when you heard them speaking English. And (laughs) of course, they knew knew your name too. Yes, they knew my name and they knew all all kinds of things about me. They'd been watching us from, you know, surveillance cameras and drones the entire time we were out there. They had medicine, they had food. Was this like, was this like this big, like sneaky thing or was it like gunfire and shooting and all that kind of stuff? I mean, both. I mean, they had to hike in, I think, two to three miles before wow. they got to, they cleared our camp because they parachuted out of planes in the middle of the night into the desert to come and get us. Oh, my I mean, it's pretty God. incredible. That is, yeah. it's a movie. You, I mean, like, we're still waiting, but yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so, and then they got you guys out safely, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, did they have to shoot any of the pirates? Do you know? They did. All nine of them died. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. But there was no, I mean, typically attempts like that, you know, they're very, um, very dangerous for so many reasons. But, you know, more than likely the hostage doesn't make it out of something like that alive. They'll either be shot by their captors or they'll get caught in crossfire. So, I mean, it's just a miracle. 
that we both it, needed out of their life. It really is. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I, I'm speechless. I've never met anybody who's been kidnapped. <laughs> like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. By the end of 93 days, did you start to actually be able to like understand what they were saying and learn their language a little bit too? Or were you just in the dark the whole time? Um, Well, I lived in Somalia for about two and a half years prior to this happening. So I had a general working knowledge, not great. It's a very difficult language. Um, But I was getting to the point where I could like understand what was going to be coming, what was happening. And, you know, and we, there was, you know, people always ask me, well, how did you communicate? Like some of them did speak English. And um, so there was a a mix of pointing and gesturing and words that we all knew. Um, And then many of them, I just didn't talk to because they were terrible. So I mean, but like sitting there, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you're listening to them have conversations about, mm-hmm. you know, possibly killing you or, yep. you know, I mean, Absolutely. oh, gosh, I don't. Wow. wow. <laughs> I'm blown away. That's crazy. So I'm a lucky girl, I like to say. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we had a, a very brief conversation before this started, but I mean, you, you basically came back. And you, you, you made lemonade out of lemons, you know, and mm-hmm. I always, you know, tell people, you know, there, you get to a fork in the road and there are people that would let an incidence like this completely destroy their, their, their life, their morale, their everything. And then there are mm-hmm. people that will say, okay, I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to teach and help people overcome things. Because <clears throat> at the end of the day, when you, you know, are going through some daily crisis, it pales in comparison, (laughs) right? So tell me how you launched a whole career uh, being a speaker and an author and really getting out there and and what your message is. Mm. So I heard this quote not too long ago, and it so resonated with me because it's been so true in my life is that pain can either become a prison or it can become a platform. Totally. And right. And I mean, that just applies in so many, in so many instances. And I, um, you know, when I first got out, I, people were like, oh, you should write a book. And I'm, you know, of course I, I always felt like I was going to write a book about something. I had no way of knowing that it was going to be about something like this. And, and I, you know, for six months, I was just like, don't talk to me about it. I can't even handle thinking about it. I just need to put this all out of my mind. And then I woke up one morning and it was like, you know, I should give this some serious consideration. And, and so, you know, this was 10 years ago and the publishing world um, is very different now than it was then. But I uh, just started kind of exploring loosely what it would look like to, to, get a literary agent, found one that was interested in working with me. And, and she was really good in terms of walking us through the whole process of uh, a book deal. And we were, we, you know, got this tremendous book deal from Simon and Schuster and and had help in, in crafting the book with a ghostwriter. And I co-wrote it with my husband, Eric. And, um, I didn't, I was still too traumatized, I think, and just didn't know the process and how things worked to understand like what was next and what was going to happen, you know? So we did the whole media tour, the book hit the New York times bestseller list. Um, 
and I had lots of opportunities that I'm not sure I quite appreciated it at, in that present moment because I just didn't know what to make out of it. And I'm not sure I was ready for it or even wanted it. Um, and so I that's- a, I have a question. Books don't just hit the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of books being published every year. Mm-hmm. Did you pair it with a media tour? Was there some kind of like ABC, you know, broadcast news event or something had or Oprah or something had to really initiate the book sales? What was that? Exactly. And that would have been the 60 minutes interview. So the thing that I didn't know that I was doing right at the time, because I didn't have it in my mind that I was going to write a New York Times bestseller and go on this media tour, but I went dark. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, in fact, like the FBI, when I came home, like rerouted me and my entire family across the United States because there was tons of media coverage. This is a big, huge, high profile event. Um, you know, the uh, rescue was uh, ordered by President Obama. He referenced it during the State of the Union address. You know, it's SEAL Team 6. I'm a woman that it just like was all of the, the whole constellation made for, uh, it was a recipe for a huge um, attention, a, a media event. Um, but I didn't want to talk about it to anybody. And so I went basically dark and I went, you know, like I, I went silent. And so no one knew what happened to me until I resurfaced. And so I had one major interview that we timed with the um, publication of the book. So that 60 minutes interview, which is one of their most highly watched interviews came out and then the book just, it sold out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the impetus you need. It's funny. I too wrote a New York times bestseller and you know, those, the, the market changes dramatically from year to year. My book came out right after I finished ABC's extreme makeover. It was in Mm -hmm. 2006 and I sat down with a, a company called Promote a Book that would kind of seed the <laughs> sales of your book. And when I spoke to the owner of the company, I said, you know, what are the parameters that we need to meet in order to become a New York Times bestseller? He said, well, right now you need to sell 20,000 books in the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, I invented Zoom tooth whitening. I have a hundred thousand dentists buying product from me on a monthly basis. You know, if I got those dentists to buy books or bought them books, <clears throat> would that count? He said, sure. So I said, fine. Yeah. So I bought 20,000 books and gave them out as gifts and that got me in. And then we sold thousands and thousands more yeah. based off of that. So that was my impetus, but that was kind of your springboard. And then after yes. that, you started speaking, right? Yes. And you did a yeah. TED talk. Yep. And then, you know, and then that's what happens. Then you get signed to speakers bureaus if you're lucky. And again, the industry is changing. COVID has changed things. And I think some of those changes will stay and some of them um, will go back to the way they used to be. But yeah, then I was invited to do a TEDx. Um, And I live outside or I live like, you know, in a suburb of Washington, D.C. So I think sometimes location makes a big difference too. you know, like my network is such that I meet really interesting people who are doing things in similar lines of work. And I'm pretty sure that's how 
I ended up connecting with you was through my mentor. And um, so yeah, it, yeah, it, it's true. But I, I, I have a challenging question. Um, you know, this happened 10 years ago, right? So mm -hmm. I understand a lot of media, a lot of buzz for a few years. Here's the challenge. How do you stay relevant? How do mm -hmm. you work and stay relevant? Because, you know, I mean, yeah, this is exciting and this is amazing and fascinating. And like, yeah. I just learned about it, but there's so much news coming out all the time and people, you know, people can say, oh, that's old. So how do you stay relevant and current? Yeah. And that's a great question. And it's a question that people ask me all the time. You have to figure out what's next. You know, I can only tell the story so long and, and, and make that, you know, my living, which for a while I had a really hard time with that. And I took a break for a while, which was probably like not the best decision for my career, but it was what I needed to do for my mental health. Um, and I needed to step back and figure out, okay, what, what's next? I know I love speaking. I know I want to write another book, but what is that going to be about? And so for me, my springboard is always going to be this crazy story of being kidnapped. Right. And, but what are the other things that I learned through the kidnapping that I learned about myself, but then I can um, rebrand and, and turn into a platform and then start speaking from. So for me, um, what I've been able to mine, you know, mine the meaning out of my situation is a big part of my story and why this, ha the kidnapping happened for me in the first place is I didn't listen to myself. I didn't listen to my intuition. I knew I didn't want to go on this trip. I knew something bad was going to happen. And yet I let other people tell me what to do. So really the platform that I stand on and that I speak from now is about, um, you know, not abandoning myself because the kidnapping was such a huge um, act of self-abandonment. And so what I've done is I've launched that into um, a huge uh, message that I, my primary audience is women, you know, with the ages of like what, 25 to whatever, 65. I started a top 1% ranking podcast called We Should Talk About That. Primarily my audience is women. Um, and I've started a publishing imprint and I only work with women. I support them as they tell their stories and get their books out uh, through hybrid publishing. Because again, uh, working with the, the publishing industry has changed. And I don't think that just because if you don't have 250 to 500,000 followers on Instagram, that you shouldn't be able to to have the chance to tell your story and, and write a book. Um, so really what you have to do is rebrand it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and that's the real challenge, right? Is right. And that's why there are people out here, there like me who have figured out how to do that and then can and help. And that's what I help my clients do. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what is next on your agenda for uh, your career? Oh, so many good things. It's taken me a while to get here, but it's really exciting. My next book comes out on my own imprint, Soul Speak Press. It comes out January 2023. It's called Deserts to Mountaintops. It's an anthology. It's 22 women's stories of how they reclaim their voice 
Um, and then I have um, several books coming out on my imprint written by women, um, stories of empowerment, reclamation, um, and uh, just really, really good stuff. My podcast is in its fourth season, and I continue to take coaching clients who, uh, again, I solely work with women who want to break into the professional speaking industry. That is amazing. And if any of my students want to contact you, what's the best way to reach you? Sure. You can hit me up um, through my email. It's just info at jessbuchanan.com. And I hang out on Instagram a lot, Jessica C. Buchanan. Okay, perfect. Hey, Jessica, thank you so much. And where are you living right now in DC, you said? Yep, just outside. Well, if you ever make it out toward LA, especially during leap week, I would love to have you come and meet the students. So again, it will be July 16th to the 22nd in 2023. So write that down. Awesome. And if you're in the LA area, we'd love to have you come as a guest. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, Dr. Bill. Thank you. Over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.